Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us for our 70th episode here at the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. Well, as it happens, I'm on the tail end of a pretty aggressive cold or flu, plague, whatever you call it nowadays. It was bad enough to have me call into work for a few days, which never happens. If I call in, I call in because I opted to stay on the road a little longer than I anticipated. Well, Gypsy's in the dark depths of the same sickness right now. I'm using what voice I have regained at the moment, and she really wouldn't be able to speak two words without coughing. So Marley's here in the studio taking her spot for me. She doesn't have much to say right now. (laughs) Well, we've done it a couple times in the past and put out an episode that's part of our Insider series. Uh, Those that support us on Patreon or Apple subscriptions have already heard these extra episodes. Uh, If you're not currently part of the Insider Series, there's a link to the Patreon in the show notes or on the website. And those that listen to us through Apple Podcasts, you can just subscribe right on the app and then you'll get all these extra bonus contents. Uh, All of these help fuel our adventures and are extremely appreciated. Uh, We've got a few things that we've put out there. If you've not heard any of them, uh, we've toyed around with a Last Words series where we find the last words of some deceased be they famous or not, just because we kind of find it interesting. We spend a lot of time in cemeteries. Uh, We started a series called Checking In uh, while we were out in Montana last October, where we check in at the end of the day, kind of recap the adventure, what we had done, where we're staying, where we're heading, what's next, that sort of a thing. Uh, We'll be adding more to that. Uh, Coming up here in about a week or so, I'll be taking a solo trip, but I think we're going to try connecting, you know, over the phone, over the web, something like that. And I'll recap with Gypsy what I've done for the day or what I'm out doing. And we'll put that out there too. So if you want to kind of keep up in real time, as it were, those are pretty unedited, as it were. (laughs) So they're kind of fun. Uh, Other times we find something interesting during our research that might not make it to the episode. However, we find it interesting enough that we want to share it. So, and that's what I'm putting out for y'all today. This episode relates to our episode 68 about the ghost town of Rhyolite, Nevada. So, just two episodes ago, we alluded a bit to the extras we found during the episode. So, before I play that show for you, we want to say thank you. January 2023, though it's not over yet as of recording this, that has been our biggest month ever. And not just like, wow, we just barely beat our last record. It was by a long shot. And that means the world to us. It keeps us inspired. So we have more adventures always planned and are working on more ways to bring you more content. Uh, On my upcoming solo trip, I'm Hoping to play around a bit more with video. I know I've talked about doing YouTube stuff for probably a couple of years now, but we're trying to actually move in that direction and get you some visuals out there as well. They'll be different than the podcast. We'll be showing you kind of how we do what we do to where here on the podcast is pretty much why, what draws us out, you know? So again, thank you. Please keep sharing us with your friends and uh, we'll keep sharing the adventures. So truly, truly appreciate it. And now... The Insider Series episode will begin right now. 
Howdy folks, welcome to the Rebel at Large Insider Series. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about the finer details of ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. And whatever else we find interesting on the road. Yes, and we cannot thank you guys enough for supporting our show and for helping keep fuel in our tanks so we can keep traveling. Absolutely. Well, in our Mile Marker 68 episode recently published, we talked about the ghost town of Rhyolite, Nevada. In that episode, we alluded to two stories that Gypsy found while researching the episode that we thought would be fun to share with you guys, our supporters. Yeah, so the first story we found is an article regarding two fellas buried in this cemetery that ended up killing each other. This is listed in the December 16th issue of the Reno Evening Gazette. The article headline states, Two men killed in shooting scrape in town of Rhyolite. It continues on with a special to the Gazette, and it reads, Goldfield, Nevada, December 15th. James Clayton, one of the original locators of the Amethyst Mine and a heavy stockholder in the Polaris, and John Sullivan, a bartender, were shot and almost instantly killed in a pistol duel at Rhyolite in the Bullfrog Mining District last night. The two men quarreled over the alleged shortchanging of Clayton by Sullivan, and as they were sworn enemies, guns flashed into view at once. Clayton fired the first shot from a small caliber revolver and then jumped behind the bar and picked up a forty-five caliber Colt and fired again. Reeling from a fatal wound, Sullivan drew his revolver and with one shot sent a ball through Clayton's lungs, killing him instantly. Both men fell to the floor while the crowd that was in the saloon fled to the open to escape the fusillade of shots. The double killing created a tremendous sensation as both men were widely known in the Bullfrog District. The next section below the special gives an account of the two men's past and the shooting itself, and it reads, For several months, Clayton and Sullivan had been bitter enemies. They had quarreled before, and ugly words and threats passed between them. Each suspected that the other was waiting for an opportunity to kill, and all night the spectators were on the KV, which means on the lookout. Well, Clayton had just sold out his interest in the Polaris and the Amethyst Mines and was on a spree. He was drinking excessively and finally become quarrelsome. His antipathy to Sullivan showed itself the moment he received the change after he paid for a round of drinks for the crowd. He accused Sullivan of shortchanging him, and the latter called Clayton a liar. Clayton drew and shot first, then rushed behind the bar and securing a heavy revolver, shot again. He fired with terrible effect, but Sullivan steadied himself in spite of his fatal wounds until he could secure a good aim and with a single shot sent Clayton to the ground with blood gushing from a hole through his lung. He was also drunk doing this, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Good job, guys. In the same section, there is a separation. This may be another article republished from another source initially, and it reads, Rhyolite, December 15th. James Clayton and John J. Sullivan are both dead as the result of a pistol duel in Rhyolite, a town one mile north of Bullfrog last night. The tragedy occurred in Bevis and Turpin's saloon and was brought about by Clayton charging Sullivan, who was a bartender at the place, with giving him short change. Max Resenberg, a cook, was at one of the gaming tables and tried to duck under the table, but received a forty-five caliber bullet just above the right nipple. He will recover. Sullivan, who was 28 years of age, leaves a young wife in Rhyolite. He came from Butte, Montana some time ago. Clayton was 38 years old and was a minor and leaves a wife in either Creed or Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
So uh, all this is typed directly from the newspaper articles. So I didn't uh. correct the way that it was laid out. But holy shit, the spelling <laughs> in all of this. <laughs> and so many things are run together or uh, just totally misspelled or lacking a letter entirely. Okay. But back then they probably hand set each piece of type, each letter. So if they spelled the like the letter and uh-huh. would be A-D-N. Okay. They're not going to go back and just uh, hit backspace, autocorrect it, and then hit print again to a format. It's like yeah. once they start, once they set this, they start running the presses. They're not checking and going again, I'm sure, especially a daily paper, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to think you would have to do something pretty monumental to be put in the newspaper because it would take them so much time to actually do the article. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, a lot of these small towns, they're going to need to publish anything. Everything. Okay, yeah. Just so that they have a reason to publish and charge yeah. folks or else they're... Their being there is pointless. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's just kind of a not really a trade I would have been interested in back no. then. No, I no, don't no. know. <laughs> just sitting there and putting each one little tiny letter in, make sure there's a space in between it. Do you think they were doing it on their own or they would have had somebody helping them? I guess as the newspapers grew, right? Yeah, you they would... would have had probably brought in some kid mm-hmm. to set it up. But I feel like most papers were started by an individual. Wow, that's a mm-hmm. lot of work. That's like mm-hmm. you're all day, every day, all you're doing is... The newspaper. Yeah. You have to create the story. So you're your own reporter Mm -hmm. to write it out. Then you have to lay it out. Then you have to print it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, so about these two, they're both buried in the same cemetery. James has a marker, Mm -hmm. but John does not, which if James had a lot more money than John did, they would have maybe just placed a wooden marker for him and it's now long gone. Part of the dust. Yeah. Yeah. But back then they were known to kind of bury people one after another, right? Yeah. yeah so it makes you wonder if they're right plots next. purchased in that spot. So yeah, the yeah. killers may have been right, <laughs> right next, next to, to each, each other. other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a bitter end. Yeah. That <laughs> continues to be bitter. Wow. They're probably still fighting in the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. On a lung shot, too, that's going to make a mess inside there because you, once you puncture through a lung, through Mm -hmm. the body, it just sprays. Each breath you try to take in, it's just blasting out for feet. Mm, Yeah. And what are they called? Uh, There's a hunting term for arterial, maybe, Uh but anything like your lungs. The blood is so bright crimson red because it's so full of oxygen at the time. Oh, yeah. So all that splattering out, that's what a true horror movie scene (laughs) <laughs> really would look like. <laughs> like. Oh my God. What a horrible thing. And everybody's in there just watching like, what the hell is going on? Covered in blood. Another guy <laughs> shot above the nipple. And it, who knows if it didn't puncture through, you know, I mean, it said it's right nipple. So, but you're in a lung area right there. Yeah. You know, your lungs come up in that upper part of your rib cage. Yeah, I'll have to look in to see if I can find anything on that guy that got shot to see if he actually did live. Yeah, and the article said he will be okay. And there's a good chance that it didn't even break his skin, you know. It might have just lodged. Back then, you're wearing so much leather, potentially, and heavy-duty work shirts and all that kind of stuff. So if he had, say, like a thick leather vest on, then a heavy canvas shirt, and then his long john union suit underwear underneath Mm -hmm. of it, and then leather-like skin from working back, being miners and all that. Yeah. This may have just hit the bone and just lodged right there. It probably cracked or broke a rib, maybe, but it might not have penetrated through all that being right there. 
Yeah. You know, that solid rib and muscle. These guys would have had a lot of muscle back then if they were the laborers working the mines. A lot of chest muscles, so there's a good chance it didn't go through the bone. Yeah. They might have just been able to pluck it out and well, they'd probably spit on it and put a <laughs> piece of dirty cloth Some on salt it. In it. <laughs> tied it down. Said, All right, you'll be good. Well, I mean, I only question if he really did live or not because you know, I don't know if I should give this away, but our next episode is going to be about Seth Bullock, Seth from, Bullock yeah. from Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories that I share in there is about a man who was shot in the forehead with a crossfire from a fight in a bar. Ouch. And so he gets shot, right? Falls down to the ground. He's laying there. Everybody around him is like, oh, shit, this dude's dead. And then he gets back up, right? Mm-hmm. So he had an entrance and an exit hole in his head. Oh, wow. Gets back up and for like two months continues to go about his daily life like as if nothing was wrong. Just complains about a slight headache. Uh-huh. Wow. And then he eventually did die, but that's why I was like. From uh, the wound? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it took him like, like I said, like two months for him to finally die. Yeah. And so that's why when they said that he sh- he'll be fine, I'm like, but will he really? Right. <laughs> like, he's fine right now, but that dude lived for two months. Wow. <laughs> yeah, his brain didn't know what hit him. Literally. Yeah. Well, and they they did like an autopsy on him after he passed away, and they said that part of the skull fragment had lodged into his brain, mm-hmm. and that it filled with fluid. And the doctors were amazed that he lived, and then not only lived but lived as long as he had lived. And he was still functioning. He was like a bartender there, and was still just going about his life. Like wow. I just got this hole in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Well, sometimes the uh, head wound, it'll if it breaks the skull, it'll go in and run the the inside wall of the skull, kind uh-huh. of go around the brain. So a lot of the larger caliber bullets will do that if you get shot with like a twenty two. Uh-huh. And it goes in, say, through the temple, uh-huh. has a big chance of ricocheting inside the skull. Mm. And so it'll crisscross through the brain with a ricochet. But anything much larger, which a thirty-two caliber ball was a pretty common round up to 40s, 41, all that kind of stuff, 44, 45. So, like I said, there's a good chance that it went in and went around the brain and then made its own exit hole at a yeah. weak spot. And huh. So if it would have crossed through his brain, it definitely would have killed him. So that had to be the case. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't lose an eye or anything. Just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the next story we're going to share with you was an article that details a letter sent to Fred Skinner by Mona Bell. So the article published in the Tonopah Daily Bonanza on the 26th of March, 1908, is titled Dead Woman's Message of Love, with a line below reading, Pathetic Missive Introduced as Evidence in the Skinner Trial. And I want to correct my date there. I apologize. It would be Ot 8. <laughs> We're doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bonus episode. It's supposed to go with it. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Well, the article reads, A sensation was sprung in the district court yesterday when a letter was offered in evidence by the state in the Skinner trial. The letter was written by the murdered woman, Isabel Heskett, or Mona Bell, as she was known at the time of her death, to the defendant, Fred Skinner. At the time of the writing, Skinner was in the county jail here, serving a sentence imposed on him for the robbing of a miner in Manhattan, which I think was a mine in that area. Yeah, it was a little town and stuff they had. Okay. Yep. 
The letter is one of affection and love, showing the implicit faith she placed in her companion. It is postmarked Tonopah and dated December 5th, 1907 or ought seven, and is as follows. My dearest, I can't get out this afternoon and I'm in my room. Darling, quite miserable. I'm afraid, love, that isn't going to be settled. Now, sweetheart, I am going to leave this morning. I think that it will be best. I will go away and get settled. There is nothing here for me, you know. I don't think that they will let me alone if I went to work but I will get everything in shape and will be able to send the money for the fine and enough for you to come on. Dearest, you should try to brace up and trust me. I wouldn't have gone this far if I hadn't intended to stick with you. It is the thought of your unhappiness that makes it so hard for me. Now, darling, you will be out at the most in a week or so. I'll send the money to you made out in Wells Fargo. You can endorse them and pay your fine and come right to me. It seems the best way. You can come on the next train after you get out. A week isn't long, and I'll have the money then. Now, darling, the thing most sacred to me is our little Edith, and as a guarantee of my faithfulness, I am sending her picture from my locket so you can look at it and trust me and then give it back when we meet again. Now, dearest, if I can get any other work when I get into a new town, it's no more tenderloin for the mice. It doesn't pay. Then when you come, you can go to work and all will be well. Sweetheart, I would love to have you go with me, but it seems impossible. I've tried so hard to get the money, but love, the impossible is the impossible. And another name for money just now. So have patience and be good. No matter what anyone thinks of you, I know you to be truly good. I know you have the most loyal heart that beats in a human breast And most of all, you are the only man in the world for me. Now, sweetheart, I am not coming to see you. It is far too painful. I'll pray for you every night that the days may seem less long. I will go to sleep with your image in my heart. I will know you to be faithful to me, and surely you can be satisfied for a few short days. The fine will be a little less than, and I will make it somehow. Don't think that I've been contended one minute since you've been in there, for I've been on the verge of collapse all the time. But I've got to brace up, and that is all there is to it. When you get out, I'll be as sick as I want to. When you get discouraged, dearest, think of that little piece of poetry. Then let come what may, I've already had my day. Surely we have been happy enough to make up for a few unpleasant days. The sun, you know, can't always shine. We must take the sunny days with thankfulness, and the rainy days are due. I'm going to work down there and get you some kind of work, and we will be quite happy. Things could have been much worse. I might have been in, and that would be dreadful. I am kissing little Edith's face, darling, and she will carry my kisses with a short goodbye. Surely she knows how closely she binds us together. Signed, Mona. Well, that gal sure had a lot to say, didn't she? Uh, yeah, it took Early. me a while to read through all of that. <laughs> she had a way of repeating the same things. Yeah, I guess she wasn't spending her time uh, watching Netflix. Yeah, yeah, she had plenty of time to write out this letter by candlelight, uh, yeah. dipping a quill in ink. <laughs> Probably took her two hours to write that, too. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> well, trying to read the newspaper to type this out was atrociously painful as well. 
<laughs> so again, their spelling is all over the place. Yeah. Trying to figure it out. It's like, mm. And there was a couple things that I did swap in there that were clear misprints on their behalf and it should have mm-hmm. said and, it, but it wasn't even the same three letters, but it wasn't any English word otherwise. Oh, like it's just the N-D or something? <laughs> something, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that too. Or like sometimes they'll put like the first letter of a word at the last part of the word in front of it. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, oh, that was totally, they didn't slide that over enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the... The microfiche film, whatever copy of that newspaper article was so blurry mm-hmm. on because most of that was in tiny little print. It was a really long side column yeah. that went down. So you get about four l- words per line. Yeah. <laughs> trying to read it all out like, oh, my goodness. Well, there's been some news articles that I've seen that makes me question if what they are doing is taking actual newspapers and scanning it in mm-hmm. because there'll be like a whole section of it that's just like you could see like – just destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so you can't even try to make out what it says. Yeah. Because it's just gone. Yeah. Both of these articles would have been scanned in copies of the original. Mm hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of cool if you think about it. So, yeah. Well, anyways, the article continues on with quote The witnesses examined during the day were Dr. Wilkerson, Asbestos Myers, Judge Kaler, Paul Winterbottom, PJ Basigalupi, and C.C. Heskett. Mr. Winterbottom is the assistant to Mr. Basigalupi in the undertaking business at Rhyolite, and he testified that the body of the murdered woman was covered with bruises, also that one eye was black. He said that it was his belief that the bruises were the result of blows administered before her death. His testimony was corroborated by Mr. Basigalupi, who followed him on the stand. C.C. Heskett was on the stand for only a few minutes. He stated that the murdered woman was his wife and that the last time he had seen her prior to the time he saw her dead body at Rhyolite was on July 17, 1907, or seven. <laughs> he gave her age as 20 years, 3 months, and a few days. The court adjourned at 4.30. End quote. So I don't know where I read this or and why I didn't put it in here, but the girl that they keep talking about, well, she keeps talking about in her letter, Edith, mm-hmm. it's Mona's sister. Oh, really? Yeah. Is she a young, young gal? I don't quite remember. I just remember I found it somewhere. Now I'm going to have to go back and try and find it. Hmm. But they said the girl that she was talking about is a sister, not a daughter, because that's how they kind of like how it's written. You think that, oh, they had a kid together, right? Yeah, but they've only been together for eight months. Yeah, but if they were spending time together in Colorado. Yeah, prior to she could have been pregnant. And when she was starting to show, mm -hmm. he's taking her away. Yeah. We never got the full story other than he wooed her away from her husband in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing, too, as far as the family goes for Mona, is every time he would go up for parole, Mm -hmm. the family would send letters to the parole board requesting that he be released. Mona's family? Uh Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. And that they felt like he had served his time. And I thought that was interesting. Um, And I don't know if it's because of their religious background where they had forgiven him. But it's like, he killed your family member. Why would you be uh, writing letters for him to be released? You <laughs> yeah, know, you killed my daughter, but hey, yeah, let this poor fella out, will you? Well, and I had to read that over and over again. Like, did they really, does it really say that? And it did. It said that they were sending letters to the parole board for him to be released. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
and that might have changed been part of what changed his life uh his death sentence to 50 years 50 years mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And then he, well, he went on a retrial and that's where he got the 50 years. Mm-hmm. And then he would go up for parole and then they would send the letters. Yeah. So kind of interesting. And maybe her husband at that time just kind of moved on with his life, right? Things were moving at such a fast yet slow pace back then. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like when somebody in their life would pass away at a young age, that they kind of quickly moved on. Mm-hmm. Not saying they didn't like mourn the loss by any means, but it just seems like they had the mentality of like, get a house, start a family, have a wife to raise your kids. And if your wife dies, you have to find another one because you have to continue to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wild times. Yeah, it is, huh? (laughs) The Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All righty, folks. Well, I think that'll wrap us up, at least for the time being. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed this Insider Series exclusive. Yeah, and I've been reading a lot of news articles. So anything fun that I find, I've been trying to save mm-hmm. so that we can do more of these. So if you guys like them, let us know because we are truly grateful for all of the support mm-hmm. that you guys give us. And so, if you don't like it, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. And we'll keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, one way or the other. <laughs> yes, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm truly grateful for all the support. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're not already doing so, follow along on the Instagram. Yes. That's where, uh, as I've changed it to, if we're active, we're most active on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that is at Rebel at Large. And, of course, the website is rebelatlarge.com. Thanks again, folks. Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. <laughs> <laughs>